Hi, and welcome to the second episode. I'm your host, Vincent Young, and today we're digging into one of the bigger enablers of a good PLG strategy, pricing and packaging. And who better to discuss this with than Cal Poyar? This interview is part of my upcoming book called Product-Led Sales. The book is about the different ways B2B companies can combine PLG with their existing sales teams. For more info and early access, visit www.plgandsales.com. Now about my guests, Cal is an operating partner at OpenView, an expansion stage venture capital firm. He helps their portfolio companies fuel growth and become market leaders. Before this, he spent almost six years at Simon Kutcher Partners consulting top technology companies on their packaging and pricing and go-to-market strategy. He's also known for his weekly newsletter, Growth Unhinged, in which he covers in-depth case studies and deep dive takes on product-led growth, pricing, and go-to-market strategy. When he's not busy with writing or work, he loves playing tennis, cooking Mediterranean food, hiking, or hanging out in Boston, where he's based. All right, Kyle, great to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about product-led growth and specifically, I think, a topic that you love, which is around business model and about pricing. Now, there's two parts I'd love to cover. Like One is you've seen a lot in the market through your different experiences. So looking back at which things have you seen work, which things have you seen not work so well. But also, I'd love to hear the more spicy things. Like Maybe it's not proven by data yet, but what do you think? Where do you think the market is going? What do you think companies are doing now that just doesn't make sense to you or whatever you think is interesting to talk about? So that's what we'll get into today. The focus is a lot on, on companies that are doing business already, right? I think there's enough content out there on what's the PLG pricing model, which ways can you go? But if you're in business today and you want to shift from, let's say, traditional sales to doing PLG, then... How to do that is actually not that straightforward in many cases. And one of the things that can really provide a challenge in this is the current pricing model, right? That just may not be ready to support certain product-led motions. Now, to start off, what have you seen companies struggle with on this front? Does it even sound familiar? And, and what have you seen here? Can you give some examples of what you've seen work or maybe not work there? Absolutely. There's a lot of barriers to shifting to a product-led growth model. Pricing and packaging certainly comes into play because when we think about product-led growth, we think about focusing on end users and using the product as a means of acquiring, converting, retaining those users. And so it, it often corresponds with having some sort of free offering for people to try before they buy. A relatively affordable entry point because if you're getting all of these people in, who are more users or team leads for the product, but not the executive buyer, need to nurture them on their journey to eventually become an enterprise purchaser. And that's often a lower starting deal size than many enterprise-focused companies are, are used to. And you just need more simplicity and transparency around pricing. And so folks would be hesitant to even try out a product if they think there's going to be sticker shock, because why invest all that sweat equity in setting it up? if it's just a non-starter in terms of the, the affordability. And all of those things are challenging to a business that's usually enterprise focused. A lot of companies give some discretion to sales to figure out pricing on a specific deal. Sometimes they call that value-based pricing or just making up pricing based on what folks think that they could get in a given situation. That type of model doesn't work so well in a product-like growth environment. And often folks are thinking about 
cannibalization risks because they might have some existing customers that are paying a lot of money. And so if they introduce uh, an entry level package or have more transparency around pricing on their website, there's a risk of their existing customers wanting to downgrade and instead adopt some of these other offerings. And so it's, it's definitely challenging, right? If you have that install base, you have that history to be able to adapt pricing to a way that fits PLG. I personally believe that usage-based models work really well in these situations because you can really grow with the customer as they grow their usage. And having a lightweight or affordable entry point is really just meaning you're offering less usage in terms of the initial commitment and initial spend. But classic seat-based subscription models might not work, work so well for that type of purchase. The other thing I just flag is that when you think about this idea of freemium or free trial as part of letting people try before they buy, you start to really worry about what are you giving away? Maybe that's for free, that's too generous. That would mean someone could just keep using the free version and never need to upgrade. But on the flip side, I often find that ends up being an excuse for watering down the free version so much so that it's not actually usable for the high value customers you're trying to attract and ends up only really being useful for like prosumers, personal users, small businesses. And so you end up having all of these free users who have a support burden, but who have no really likelihood of converting to paying customers down the line. And so you've got to really strike that balance. And unfortunately, I think too many people are nervous about offering too much, and then it ends up coming back to haunt them. Yeah. And these are real risks also for business. It doesn't come from nowhere. Like you're saying, the free version often becomes the biggest competitor for sales, right? And cannibalization can apply to existing customers, but also in new business. Are we now serving people for free or for less that used to maybe buy at full price or at the original price? Do you have any methods, models, or ways to gain more confidence there? This land and expand motion that I might get out of PLG where, okay, I'll sell something smaller first and it will grow. Proving that takes a long time. So how do I bridge the gap? How do I get more confidence there as a company in, in making that step? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's actually a lot of different routes to test out product-led growth strategies that don't require fully jumping into the deep end right away. And I like to prove out those different steps and kind of sequentially build out a more sustainable PLG model. So ultimately, stepping back, product-led growth is about using your product as this means of acquisition, conversion, retention, and so on. That means it's more of a dimmer switch than an on or off switch. You have companies that are very extreme in terms of using the product across the entire journey and having a lot of the revenue come from self-service purchasing where there's no human interaction. But there's other instances where products are great lead gen into the, into the sales funnel. Ramp's a great example of that. Or you could find examples where you have interactive demos on the website that are, are really great ways of taking existing traffic or prospects and getting them more interested in, it, in an actual demo and, and purchase process. There's different levers. There's also the expansion angle where once someone's an existing customer, can they try a free trial of a new product offering that you have? So there's a lot of different elements. The first thing I I would think about if I were in a company's shoes that's thinking about this is, can we test a free trial call to action on the website that is actually a person-assisted free trial? So not fully self-serve, but someone can request a free trial 
and then you have someone on the team that helps set them up in a 30 minute onboarding call and see, does that actually meaningfully influence the number of folks that take an action when they visit the website? Does that overly cannibalize the group that's selecting contact us or request a demo? Or does that there's actually a healthy balance of both? And you might find that it, it actually really increases the overall pie that's available uh, for the business. Or you might find it just shrinks an existing pie. That's something that you have to experiment with to, to validate. But that's something that you can do without having a fully self-serve, fully operational free trial. It's more of a way of testing that appetite for a free trial. Another angle is testing an interactive demo on the website, as I mentioned. Interactive demos allow folks to see the experience of what using the product would look like and the value that they'd be able to get from it without actually doing all of the work around setting it up, setting up integrations, moving data over. And so for many people, that's something that they want to be able to see before they ever talk to someone on the sales team. And once they've seen it, they're often a lot more bought in to the sales process. So I tend to find that when you have these interactive demos on the website, you're able to increase the amount of kind of qualified demo requests and that these folks are extremely high intent leads that are much more likely to buy than the average customer. It's particularly for a product that's in a newer category or that's where part of the benefit is taking something that maybe there's an existing software for that people don't like or isn't workable or is a legacy software and really demonstrating like the, how you're unique and how the product is better. There's something about saying that you're better through a demo process, but there's another thing about someone actually experiencing that for themselves and seeing firsthand coming to their own conclusion. So I, those are really great entry points. From there, I would think about if those work moving towards a more self-service free trial or freemium edition. And you can often do that while continuing to have the same pricing. So we have portfolio companies that have done that in an enterprise model, and it acts more as a self-service sort of proof of concept that they might otherwise do in the sales process. And so that's another way to test out this PLG opportunity if you end up finding that you're getting a lot of these free trial requests or free trial signups, folks are seeing value in that trial, but you know, they're ultimately not buying because the price is too high, that's when you can really start thinking about a new entry-level kind of package or offering designed around this audience that you know already exists and is already eager to buy just at a different price point that you're selling today. And the great thing about this is that you're de-risking the whole investment, right? You can do this with the team, with the motion that you have today, it's almost like adding a button and, and figuring out how to give people access when, when they ask for it. Exactly. Definitely de-risk things. And it also starts to create some shared incentives across teams. And so a lot of times in SaaS, we get into this like handoff model, right? Where marketing hands off prospects to an SDR who qualifies them, who hands it off to an AE, who hands it off to a solution consultant, and so, and so on and so forth. And what happens is you have a lot of friction for the customer, right? Because they feel like they're being handed off. Uh, it's not a seamless experience. And you're missing out on opportunities by not connecting the dots and bringing teams together cross-functionally. And so if you have, for example, a marketing team that's thinking not about like how many MQLs can I bring to sales, but it's thinking about how much qualified pipeline can we generate, all of a sudden doing these things like, free trial experiences on the website or interactive demo experiences 
all of a sudden that's aligned with what marketing sort of gold on. And now marketing is a much better partner for sales because everyone is trying to do the same thing at the end of the day. And so you can break out of these siloed thinkings or assembly line models and find creative solutions. And I tend to find what works really great for testing DLG is using an area that is known as a really critical focus point for the business. So you might say, hey, we've got to get CAC payback down with this segment, or we've got to accelerate time to close, or we've got to increase competitive win rate. Whatever it is, that's the number one thing the board cares about. I'm sure there's actually a PLG angle to going after that opportunity that you might not have considered. And so if you can apply PLG towards the problems that everyone in the business knows are really important, that ends up unlocking a lot of permission to go further on the PLG journey. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding because this is something I emphasize a lot as well. It, it, it's not about doing PLG. That's not a goal. It's about achieving goals the company has, right? And, and the more you align with that, the easier it becomes to drive that change in the end. If we look on the flip side, are there any categories of companies or pricing models for that matter where you've just seen it just doesn't work there? It's okay. Like not everybody needs to do this, but if you're in this business or if you do this, then probably it's not the first thing to look at. So in our uh, product benchmark survey from uh, earlier this year, we surveyed you know, hundreds of, of companies and we're trying to get a sense for what categories seem to really be ripe for PLG and, or, or really ready for PLG and which categories is PLG just a much harder sell or harder to pull off. And what we found is, you know, anyone selling to a really small business audience to it, an SMB or very small business audience, product-led growth was very common. It was much less common if you're selling to large enterprises with a thousand or more employees. That's where you only saw maybe 15 or 20% PLG adoption. So the size of your target customer matters a lot. The other angle that matters is the, the category of software, or the category of tooling that you have. So any software that's so selling to developers or in an infrastructure type of environment, product like growth adoption is extremely high. And there's almost an expectation now from the developer community that people should be able to use the product on a self-serve basis. They don't want to be forced to talk to sales, right? But then if you look at categories like finance-oriented technology or vertical-specific software or legal tech in particular, you see much lower PLG adoption. And so the, the takeaways for me are, first off, you can understand uh, some of these industries are just less tech savvy in the first place. The buyers don't really want a self-serve experience. They maybe need help or want to have a more consultative experience. So make sure that you're focusing on an industry where the way people actually want to buy your software is aligned with PLG. That would be takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is like when you think about SMB versus enterprise, at the enterprise, there's more stakeholders involved in a purchase decision. There's a lot more risk. There's more complex kind of integrations. It's not all turnkey. Hey, we can just set up everything in a few clicks. An enterprise-specific integration with another enterprise technology is often a lot more complicated than that. There's also a lot of data, a lot of complex workflows to make sure are working. And so if you're selling to an enterprise that has just a lot more friction involved with setting up the product and seeing value and convincing people that there's value, that's obviously just much harder to pull off PLG unless you can find a specific wedge within that bigger opportunity where someone can actually get up and running really quickly. Uh, 
And then the final area that I just point to is if you're selling to a very small business audience, you, your deal sizes are usually small. Maybe it's a couple hundred dollars a month. You don't have a lot of ability to invest in a high touch sales motion. The, the CAC payback just can't support as high touch of a sales motion as in an enterprise setting where you're maybe getting a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand dollar deal. And so in that case, you are really looking for anything that you can do to automate the customer journey where you're able to bring that into a product-based or more scalable solution as opposed to having a human doing it manually. And so that's where it's a much more uh, business critical from a kind of KPI standpoint to find lower CAC ways of, of doing business. And I would say also make sure that you're you know applying PLG to, to be able to develop the unit economics and to build an attractive business. So if your business can support high touch experiences that win over these really high value customers, that's great. And maybe in those cases, PLG is not as much of a requirement, but if you need to focus on extreme efficiency, the calculation switches. Absolutely. Great. So what do you see happening in PLG right now? It's evolved a lot over the past years. What do you think is coming next? Yeah, it's a great question. So PLG almost became trendy in 2021, 2022 timeframe. And I saw a number of companies trying PLG or looking PLG from the outside, but it was never core to their business model. It was never a kind of bet the company move. It was a side investment or side project because people thought they should be doing it or it might cure other challenges. And they ended up building essentially a PLG motion with a whole team to support it. More engineers, more product folks, more CAC in terms of setting up a PLG motion and a long payoff time to see those that work come to fruition alongside a totally traditional model. And so in those cases, I've noticed people are investing in PLG. They're trying to double down on what they know works, focus on the core, build a more efficient business. And so as anyone looks to do more with less, they're going to focus on what they know works as opposed to the things that they see as experiments. And so that's actually, I think, a good thing for PLG. We're able to find folks where it's really meaningful for their business and they're thinking about it the right way and it's driving outcomes for them and really have a conversation centered around that group as opposed to having a lot of the, the casual observers jumping in or, or trying it out. And one thing I look at to see if that's effective is product influence revenue as a new metric. And that's a KPI that can hold teams accountable for is PLG actually like doing what it's supposed to be doing. And so product influence revenue is how much of net new ARR starts with a meaningful product interaction before there's ever a human involved in the sales motion. And in our latest SaaS benchmark survey, we found that freemium companies have a range from 5th percentile to 75th percentile of basically a quarter of their revenue as product influence to 100% of revenue being product influence, right? So there's a big range. And just because a company has a freemium offering doesn't mean they're generating much product influence revenue or that the product influence is that meaningful. A trend, first of all, is cutting PLG initiatives that aren't working or were more side hustles, experiments, as opposed to core. Another thing for me is that for PLG to really take off, in terms of the companies that are like fully betting on PLG, you need to find low cost, scalable ways of acquiring users. The benefit of PLG is you're able to reach people earlier in your buying process 
and you're able to bring along end users of the product rather than just this upper echelon executive buyer who might not have time for you and is getting pitched by hundreds of other vendors. So you're able to get this end user, show them value and have them advocate from the bottom up of, of adopting the, the technology. And that's great if you can actually attract these end users at scale. And so it means that you need to be able to reach thousands of these people a day, a week, or a month, expect very high drop-off rates in terms of how many folks that you reach end up signing up the product, how many of those end up doing something of activation, how many of them convert, and then how many of those people expand. So you just have to really open up this top of the funnel and have it oriented towards this user and the user is often going to be motivated by a very different type of message on the website. That's something more oriented around what they're trying to do, as opposed to the, the business or executive messaging, which is much more of an ROI story. So if you think about Salesforce, they're helping the CRO have predictable revenue. But for a sales rep, if Salesforce is trying to get the sales rep as that individual user, the sales rep actually hates the manual data entry in CRMs. They hate the back and forth of scheduling meetings. The pain points that are motivating the end user are often different from the executive buyer. And so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, and it, when, in, when you think about finding these scalable marketing channels, it's often a different skill set and it's a different set of channels than where folks are used to. And one of the key channels that has worked for many of the PLG companies that are great today is SEO. And that's a channel that I think looking ahead, I don't know if we can rely as much on SEO as that really efficient, cheap way of attracting thousands or hundreds of thousands of users to the website and to sign up for the product with what generative AI is doing with SEO opportunities and just zero click searches in general, we have to find other alternatives. And so you're starting to look at kind of some more creative acquisition tactics around like community strategies, social media, particularly whether it's LinkedIn, TikTok, working with influencers, there's a totally different set of these tactics for reaching users than maybe folks were using five years ago. Then I think to an extent, it, it's healthy, this pressure on PLG to prove itself. And this, what you said with product influence revenue, for example, I think in the long run, that's a good thing that makes it a real business practice that companies can decide to use. So what's something that you're hearing or seeing in the market that you've seen companies do that just doesn't make a lot of sense to you if you think about PLG? Yeah, it's a good question. So I do see some companies, I think that underestimate the value of their PLG efforts. And so there's some companies that I see make a shift into enterprise, like Airtable made a big announcement about their shift to enterprise, for example. And what often happens is they're seeing more and more of that revenue comes from enterprise customers. Enterprises often have higher retention, higher rates of expansion. And so it looks like a really appealing customer target. And they lose sight on like how they're actually able to reach the enterprise. So focusing on an enterprise customer doesn't mean the same thing as not doing PLG. Uh, because for many companies that were successful in going PLG to enterprise, PLG became their opportunity to attract people that were an individual user at a larger company where they could get that person to try out the product on a self-service basis and then advocate for enterprise adoption or folks maybe use the product at an SMB and then they switch jobs to an enterprise 
and they have a lot of brand affiliation with this PLG tool that they really loved working with. And that's what they advocate for in the enterprise purchase. And so oftentimes it's this, oh, we're going enterprise. So we're going to water down everything we're going to do on a PLG. We're going to kill any self-service access. We're going to raise prices for everyone. And it actually looks like it works. The first couple of quarters, they're able to take a lot of the self-serve free users and convert them onto enterprise plans. Sales is really having a lot of great conversations with enterprise buyers, but then they look back a year later and they don't have a pool of, of users that they can fish from uh, and turn into these enterprise customers. And all of that's dried up because they totally disinvested in PLG, which became the foundation for their enterprise growth efforts. And so this notion of going enterprise means we kill PLG often ends up looking short-sighted. And, and I see that companies look back and regret some of the decisions they made later on. That's a really good insight. And, and we'll be following the Airtable story closely as it evolves. All right. Coming to the last question here, what's something that you personally just think is something really cool or something that you see a lot of potential in, but just hasn't been proven yet in PLG? There's, yeah, there, there's a lot. <laughs> so one of the things for me that comes up is the opportunity around applying different sales tactics in conjunction with PLG. I think that we've dispelled a lot of myths that PLG means anti-sales and let, there's a lot of room for having a kind of a synergy between product-led growth tactics and also a human touch, especially for high value folks who are, who are ready to buy. But we're still very early in a lot of that motion. We haven't done a whole lot around outbound efforts for PLG businesses. We also haven't done a whole lot around how does the sales process change based on product information. So we're doing a better job getting product signals as a signal of intent, like product qualified leads, product qualified accounts. But sales reps don't always use that information to actually have a different customer experience, depending on what they know about what's happening. And ultimately, we're trying to get to personalization, right, where we're selling to the right person at the right time based on what we know about them. And PLG is a really amazing data collection play to be able to personalize the customer experience. We're not really doing that today. The other thing is I think that a lot of the techniques with PLG are around basically trying to automate the customer journey by taking things that would be done by people, SDRs, sales reps, and so on, and bringing that into the product. So the product sort of starts to sell itself. In theory, this is like more efficient uh, for the business. It's a better customer experience because people have uh, ability to do some self-service. The products are always on, always available and so on. But if you think about that kind of thinking, there's a lot of ways to automate the customer experience that aren't classic PLG. It doesn't mean you're doing self-service onboarding or self-service conversion. You're doing things like automated email streams tied to actions that folks are taking in the product that maybe look like they come from the AE. And if someone replies, that goes directly to the AE. Or more automated outbound campaigns based on, hey, we know there's a couple of users within this broader organization that are adopting the software. That means there's probably other people that could see value in it. We should find who those people are and send them an automated message to encourage them to try the product for free. There's not a whole lot of that kind of behavior in PLG 
businesses. And so I think about the next generation will be automating the customer experience independent of you know, how much of that is like in the product experiences versus any sort of other touch point that the customer has. Interesting. Thank you for going through that. We have come to the end of today. I wanted to give you the stage briefly as well. I'm a big fan of your newsletter, Growth Unhinged. How can people follow your thinking and the things you publish? Yeah, I appreciate that. So I do write the newsletter, Growth Unhinged, every week, trying to feature different stories and playbooks of fast growth software startups. And then I'm also regularly sharing insights on LinkedIn. I post about three or four times a week with different growth advice, growth lessons, learnings, stories that I'm seeing in our portfolio and outside of the portfolio. So folks should definitely follow either or both to get all the latest. I would suggest both. That's what I do. All right. Thanks so much. It was great having you, Con. Thanks, Vincent. That brings us to the end of this episode. Some great ideas today for sales-driven companies to start introducing PLG into their experience and pricing model. For more insights, make sure to follow Kyle on LinkedIn and his newsletter, Growth Unhinged. Also, keep a lookout for my book, Product-Led Sales, which will be released soon. For more info and early access, go to www.plgandsales.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in for the next episode in which I'll be talking with Pekka Koskinen, co-founder and former CEO of Leadfeeder. We'll talk about how they developed a successful product-led sales approach 10 years before the term was ever invented. See you then.